What you doing there, Lonnie? Knitting a sweater for Angel. Oh, honey. You know Angel's a fictional character, right? Yeah, the same way virginity is a fictional construct, but the virgins keep getting sacrificed, don't they? You're cracking up. Way ahead of schedule. I'm using a bulky yarn so that it'll protect him the next time he crashes through a window. Good thinking. I know, right? Man needs some padding. Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm researcher and Southern Fried Scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Angel, Season 2, Episodes 7 and 8, Darla, which is a watcher, and the Shroud of Ramon, which is a skipper. We're about to get more time with our dear one, so let's raise the stakes. In Darla, Angel tries to deal with having a soul in the past, while Darla tries to deal with having a soul now. In flashbacks, we get Darla's origin story as she's transformed by the master from a dying human to a virile vampire. We skip through time as she and Angelus run through Europe. He gets a soul, she tries to get the curse reversed, and finally they part, until, knowing her love of religious wars, he finds her during the Boxer Rebellion. He tries to be bad, but he can't, and when Darla tries to force him to choose by eating a baby, he saves the baby and runs off. In the present day, Darla struggles with holding on to her sanity as she bears the weight of her soul. Lindsay tries to help her, but the only help she wants is from Angel. As a convoluted and unnecessarily complicated plan by Holland Manners gets her back with Angel, she asks him to turn her into a vampire. Angel refuses, and she runs out into the daylight, so good plan, Wolfram at heart, I guess. Darla aired on November 14, 2000. It was directed and written by Tim Minear, who wrote a dozen episodes for Angel and directed half of them. All right, so now we start everything off with our perfect happiness scale, which we call our pH scale, which goes from zero at stake this to six at lost your soul. And just to clarify things which are not clear at all and don't make any sense. We have heard from people that we should have had a 14 point scale since a pH scale is actually 14 points. But we made this thing up in like five minutes before we started recording the last episode. We were joking about the Kinsey scale, which runs zero to six. And then we just went with it. So this doesn't make sense at all. And we know it. And we're really okay with that. <laughs> it's like whose line? Where the yes. rules are made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> but I could not pass up this opportunity to learn a little bit more about the Kinsey scale. Oh, um, yeah. It's a pop culture reference, but I actually wanted to find out more about the real thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I learned. Um, it was developed by doctors Alfred Kinsey, Wardell Palmori, and Clyde Martin as a heterosexual homosexual rating scale. First published in 1948, based on personal interviews with over 5,000 men, and then a second report based on interviews with more than 6,000 women was published in 1953. So the rating includes seven points on a zero to six scale, with zero being exclusively heterosexual and six being exclusively homosexual, with an additional X rating for asexual orientation. Mm -hmm. There is not an official Kinsey scale test, this was qualitative interview data. Mm -hmm. um, there are quizzes online. None of them are official, but they can be highly entertaining. <laughs> um, but the official data is available for download and analysis through the Kinsey Institute.org. 
So the problem is the Kinsey scale is not definitive. It is very limited in scope, and it's criticized by many social scientists Mm -hmm. for a lot of good reason, including having way too many undergraduate research subjects in the study. Mm -hmm. It was one of the first studies to show that sexual identity is fluid for many people. Mm -hmm. But psychological research in the 1940s and 50s was based in behaviorism, right? This is like B.F. Skinner's high day, and therefore only focused on behavior, not identity or desire. Mm -hmm. And it was based on the scientific understanding of sexuality from the 1940s. So right. <laughs> the, the Kinsey scale can be especially problematic for bisexuals. Mm-hmm. And the best way I know to explain this is imagine a preference scale that measures whether I want to live on the East Coast or the West Coast, right? And that mm-hmm. I am equally and situationally drawn to each. That would not mean that I actually want to live in the Midwest, in between right. those two coasts, right? <laughs> Being bisexual doesn't mean that you're halfway attracted to people of other genders. There's a mm-hmm. huge difference between being bisexual and being equally heterosexual and homosexual as the Kinsey scale describes. Mm-hmm. So that said, the scale is a product of its time. But as someone whose sexual identity is as fluid and strong as my coffee, <laughs> I wanted to point out a few of the limitations especially given some of the heteronormative and bi-erasure narrative that exists in the Buffyverse. Yeah, I think that's really great. And research hits my pH scale at a seven with (laughs) off-the-chart happiness, (laughs) hence the detour. But I am ready to talk about this episode of Angel now. I love it. I love that you did that. You know, we joke a lot about the Kinsey scale because it is kind of patently ridiculous, but it is also kind of another another, you know, measure of kind of the bi erasure that happens so often and, and how much of of identity is erased through like a very rudimentary understanding of sexuality. Um, and I know that I've had I had somebody who wrote to me about gender fluidity, which mm-hmm. is something I still don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that people are asking about these things, especially because we are working within the Buffy verse, which is I mean, like really heteronormative. And, you know, and when we, you know, when we get some, you know, variations in sexuality, um, it is it is usually kind of like, like just handled in a weird way. So, um, so I'm glad we had this little talk. (laughs) I think that it's it's really interesting to find out that history. Uh, Most of the time when I talk about the Kinsey scale, I'm joking around about it. We were joking around about it uh, before we started the pH scale. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's not at all like really that useful, except as kind of, um, you know, a historical artifact. Yeah. Um, of well, and especially we were since about we're, sex we're at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're basing this on a happiness to lose right. our <laughs> souls kind of curse that's hard to flawed in and of itself. So, yay, it's hell all math. flawed. <laughs> it's all flawed. It's all flawed. But anyway, on the pH scale, where did you land with Darla? So I gave this episode a five. Mm-hmm. I love everything about this episode except some of the over the top Darla evil because no mm-hmm. one should eat babies. Right. And the hijinks at Wolfram and Hart was distracting. And how many times is Holland going to let Lindsay betray them before he cuts off Lindsay's other hand? I mean seriously. I mean, Lindsay come gets on. away with everything. Right. He's so, like Xander in the Buffyverse. Yeah. It like really um but 
a dark love story with Darla and Angel plus Spike. Yay. Coming up and saying, I figure there's another chosen one getting all chosen as we speak. And then mm-hmm. that group walk with Angel oh, and yeah. Darla and Spike and Drew and the town on fire behind them. Yeah, that's that's going to be a five. <laughs> there's some really good stuff in this episode. I also gave it a five. Um, and part of that is because Darla is the companion piece to Buffy's season five episode, Fool for Love, which mm-hmm. is a contender for the best Buffy episode ever and because this reflects on that episode it gets some reflected glory for me you know Mm -hmm. Um, I do recommend recommend watching both of these episodes in tandem watching Darla in tandem with Fool for Love over on Buffy if you've been fully spoiled if you've watched all of it definitely watch them together Um, the pairing makes each episode better it's kind of like you know wine with particular foods it's just sometimes (laughs) the pairing makes each of them better Um, I do like the content and the moment to moment Stuff in this episode, uh, but the narrative missed opportunities of having the two halves of the story not reflect the protagonist of those halves. Angel is the protagonist in the past, Darla is the protagonist now, each pursuing what they want and losing, him accepting his soul, her rejecting hers. Um, and so because of that, it makes me dock two points right off the top, but then I give one point back because Spike. Yes. Because Spike, I love Spike. It's because always Spike. fun to see him. <laughs> yes. I, I love it. It's just I was wonderful. so glad that you made the note about watching this in tandem with Fool for Love because it mm-hmm. gave me an excuse to go back and watch <gasps> oh, for so love and anytime I hear Spike talk about being love's bitch it's just going to yes. move yes. me right up the pH scale oh so. my god no it's so good it's so good yeah alright so Darla Darla <laughs> I guess let's start by talking about Darla um, Darla's smashing the mirrors right mm-hmm. in Lindsay's office uh, not because she can't see herself but because she can which I find really interesting and meanwhile we have angel in his room endlessly drawing sketches of her image Mm -hmm. she's all that he can see too i thought that was kind of interesting but like most of the stuff in this episode we have these interesting reflections which is kind of you know we open up with this darla being able to not handle her own reflection right so we have all these interesting reflections and they all kind of just miss each other for me and i don't know if that was your response to that like you know he can see her. He's drawing her. She's smashing the mirrors. But the connection doesn't quite make it for me. Did you? Yeah, the the connection there didn't quite mm-hmm. make it for me either. And the way that she was positioned um, with she was sitting, you know, sitting down and she had her arms out and her wrists yeah. were bleeding. Yeah. And so my first take of that was that she had attempted suicide. Right. Me too. But that's mm-hmm. not what happened. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. that's what that visual seemed to speak to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, so I was a little confused about what they were actually trying to do with that. Um, I understand her wanting to smash mirrors, but I think that there might have been like a stronger way to do that. Like if Angel was staring out of the window Mm -hmm. thinking about her, unable to see his own reflection. Yes. Mm-hmm. At the same time. Like that would have At the same time just, that she's smashing yeah. her reflection, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um it's it's interesting. And I, I, I feel like there's something that most of Darla for me is I feel like there's something there, but it's not quite making it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as far as yeah. these like like deeper resonances, you yeah. know, within the story. There's there's so many missed opportunities there. Um I like this moment though, where Darla, who's been alive for, you know, like four hundred years, mm-hmm. right? Um, and has has lived within this vampire community that we we've talked about in in heteronormative terms. 
like, you know, if you're turning somebody, is that a sexual thing? And like how all that stuff works. And she says to Lindsay, you know, um, Lindsay, you never talk about yourself. You got a girlfriend, boyfriend, someone special. And one, I like this for a couple of reasons. One, it acknowledges the possibility of, of you know, sexual identity fluidity um, without there being any kind of judgment on it. Like, mm-hmm. she places no judgment on it. It's not like she's making fun of him by saying, oh, you got a boyfriend or anything like that. Like, she's just saying, like, is it a girlfriend? Is it a boyfriend? What is it? You know? Um, and so I think that that's kind of nice. And I like yeah. that. Although, you know, we get it from our evil character which I find kind of funny when we acknowledge any kind of like everything else is heteronormative all the way down the line. I don't think we even acknowledge the idea of lesbian or gay and angel. Um, We'll see as we go through the run, but we really, really don't. It's like, it just doesn't exist except here we have it acknowledged and not judged. Mm -hmm. So at least I kind of, I kind of liked that. Um, But I love this moment where she's talking with him and she says, now do you know what we've become? And Lindsay says, enemies. And Darla says, no, much worse. Now we're soulmates. And then she has that crazy laugh. I love that line. I was deeply inspired by that, wrote a mini thesis and put it in the research section. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. I thought that was really, really cool. I like that a lot. But even before she became a vampire, like we have this whole thing also throughout this where Angel keeps saying she loves the view. She loves the view. She loves the view. She's always looking out the window. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we have her in her dying scene, right, she has them shut the window. She hates the sun even before becoming a vampire, right? Um, And then the master comes in, of course, and and turns her. But here we have this whole thing about she loves the view, she loves the view, she loves the view. But when she's alive, she shuts off the view. Oh, no. And again. I think she loves the nighttime view. Okay. Because Uh when, when the master shows her who he is, she says, I know you. You were here last night. She had the window open at night. Yeah. She hates the okay. sun, even she as hates a human, the sun. but she, she likes the a nighttime view. Okay. Um, and, I, I felt it was a little weird. Yeah. And like, I felt like it missed for me. That mm-hmm. that whole thing, you know, with her as a human, I think they said mm-hmm. it was like 1609, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she tells them, you know, close the shutters. I didn't ask for a priest who invited him here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the master, when he's pretending to be the priest, yeah, he says, you should have asked for a priest long ago, child. Your life may have been the better for it. And mm-hmm. Darla comes right back and says, and you should have paid me a visit before today, father. Your life may have been more interesting because of it. And that is the moment I fell in love with Darla. <laughs> and when he shows her, you know, who he is, she is not afraid of his vampire form. Mm -hmm. And she, she says, are you death? You Mm -hmm. know, so she dislikes the sun. She believes in invitations before entering a space and Mm -hmm. she's not afraid of demons. So it seems to me like Darla was born to be a vampire. Yeah, pretty much, you know, and she's not afraid. Like I love, she's not afraid of anything. No, she's she's not afraid of death. She's not afraid of of hell. You know, right. if the devil will have me, have him take me. She doesn't right. care. You know, um, she's not afraid of anything. And I, I like this about Darla. She's tough. But we also have this sense of her rejecting, like, that we have her as being... I, I guess evil sort of, or at least bad before she is, is turned into a vampire. Like, you know, we have this, this um, hint that she is, I don't know, a, a prostitute, mm-hmm. possibly a madam, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, she seems like she's doing well enough for herself that she's got a house that she can die in, you know, so she's right. doing okay. Um, and people, you know, tending to her and, and shutting windows for her and all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
So yeah. we have we have that from her. And we also have this kind of like shorthand and like she's like, you know, well, you know what? God has never done anything for me mm-hmm. that because she rejected God before she died, we see her as being bad because she was a prostitute. We see her as being bad, you know, but I don't necessarily like I feel like we use that as a shortcut, you know, sexually promiscuous, doesn't believe in God she equals she's bad, you know, before she died. And I don't see her that way. I see her as strong. Yeah, me too. You know, I see her as, um, you know, as taking whatever power she has. I see her as unwilling to sacrifice her freedom. Yep. You know, and be something that she's not. So I I don't know. did not see her as evil. I think they were trying to code her that way. But that's, yeah. To me, she was an independent woman who valued Mm -hmm. her own autonomy more than social norms, who refused to accept the religious views of her day and who refused to be controlled, even if that meant going to hell or losing her soul. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and we get the sense that her life was very hard. You know, she said God was never generous to her. God never did anything for her. Mm -hmm. But she struck me as a fighter who believed in her own sense of self. And like, I, I just did not buy into, oh, strong, independent woman who uses her sexuality as a trade. Mm -hmm. Nope. I'm not coding that as evil. Um, But I think, I think that's what the show wants us to do though. And that's where I have my argument. Yeah, I do too. I think that's a very poor way of, of coding her as, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who was supposed to be bad. Because she's not hurting anybody. I mean, she's dying, granted. You know, she doesn't have the energy to hurt anybody. But, you know, we don't see any evidence that she's hurt anyone. Right, exactly. And compare that to Liam when she first found him as human. You know, he's running around with all these girls and the servant and he's beating Mm -hmm. people up in the bar and he's smashing things. And he's a force of destruction. She is simply surviving and building something on her own terms. Exactly. And yeah. I, I, I mean, and just the absolute sort of bad ass. I mean, she's laying there dying, mm-hmm. talking back to a priest. Yeah. And I, <laughs> no, she is badass. Yeah. I love Darla. I love scene. But I do take issue with the idea that this is supposed to be coded as evil. Yeah, me too. That she was always, she was always bad. Right. You know, she's not bad. She's not bad. She's strong, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, I liked her a lot. I did too. Very much. And I liked the dynamic with her and the master. I like that, too. I like when um, when Angel comes in. Right. And of course, like, you know, he hasn't been turned that long. He's not that different from Liam. Mm -hmm. He comes in, you know, he's all bravado. He's fighting with the master. The master's beating the hell out of him. You know, Darla and Darla goes with him. Yeah. You know, which face do you want to look at? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was because Angela's challenged the master and Darla yeah. was drawn to that strength and dominance and independent and and independence and the fun of living above on the surface with Angelus. And, yeah. you know, when he said to her, you belong by my side, I'll give you mm-hmm. the view. I'll give you the view you crave. I'll give you everything. And mm-hmm. she leaves with him. And then we get this great line from the master. And he's like, it won't last. I give it a century <laughs> tops. <laughs> right. But you know what I like, though? The master is powerful. He's got all of these people, mm-hmm. all of these vampires serving him. He lets her go. Oh, yeah. He yeah. allows her her free will. Absolutely. Because that, right? yeah. that to me is the measure of real power. Right. right? He's not forcing anyone to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I like that. You know, he's he, he wants his followers to choose him. And yeah. without that choosing, then you're not really in charge anyway. You're just the holder of the keys. 
And exactly. I really did like that dynamic between the two of them. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I mean, I I really liked that he didn't fight. Mm-hmm. He's and he goes, I'll give it a century tops. You know, yeah, that was so great. <laughs> You'll be back. And I, I do love that they outlasted. Mm-hmm. Produ- they did make it 150 years. <laughs> Very true. But it was only because, you know, Angelus got his soul back. Right. That they split right. up. I mean, they would still probably be together yeah. if uh, if that hadn't happened. Yeah. Um, but I love, oh, God, you know, I love etymology. Mm-hmm. I love etymology. And mm-hmm. when um, Angel is there going through the book and he's talking about the etymology of Darla, Anglo-Saxon derivation, meaning dear one, didn't come into common usage until more than 100 years after she was born. He must have given it to her. Yeah. You know, Um, so I love that, you know, the master named Darla. So Mm -hmm. we're getting that, you know, we're getting that information. Um, She was it was in the 1600s. She's more, you know, more than 100 years older than um, than Angel is. Right. You know, and has all of this experience, like all of this life lived. Um, And it's so interesting. And of course, she means her name means dear one. She calls him her dear boy. Her dear boy. You know, there's a nice reflection there. There is. And and I actually went and fact checked this. Um, And it it does mean dear one, but it came from dearling, which Mm -hmm. went to darling, which went to dear one. Mm-hmm. And so I do love her calling him dear boy. It's just, yeah. it's a beautiful connection. And, you know, the master named her, she can't mm-hmm. remember her human name. Yeah. She named Angel. Angel never refers to himself as Liam. No, he ever. never says his, we only he, know it because we saw the flashbacks. Exactly. But he never says. He yeah. never, ever does that. But she mm-hmm. has no idea what hers was mm-hmm. beforehand. And I, and I do think that there's something significant of that. Like, she can't remember her humanity. Yeah. Because she's been a vampire for so long, mm-hmm. um, which I really thought was was very, very interesting. Yeah. No, it is really interesting. It's like the way that, you know, we can't remember being babies. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, like the first two years, complete blank. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe what, what her human experience was after she's been a vampire for just so long. Mm-hmm. I think so. You know, that she doesn't she doesn't have any connection to that at all. Um but I love this moment with uh, with Darla and Lindsay, mm-hmm. right? Where she says, why haven't you kissed me? And Lindsay says, I didn't know if you wanted me to. And she says, why should that matter? Do you think I ever hesitated when I wanted something? Yeah. And um, first of all, I love, I mean, I love that Lindsay's into consent. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is really, uh-huh. really nice. He's and on the course, list for a reason. I'm just telling you. Oh, I know. Um <laughs> But also like that she is, um, she's not, you know, because that's honestly the evil. That's the right. thing I see in her right. that's evil, right? Yes. Is that she's not into consent. Yes. Um, but it's really, but it's also like, you know, why should that matter? Like, I've never given anybody, I've never worried about consent from anybody. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you know, why should that matter with me? Like, but she applies the same um I guess the same uh, um, attitude toward herself as she does to other people. Like if I don't respect other people's consent, it doesn't matter if you respect mine. Right. You know, not to mention the fact that I, I highly doubt that anybody kisses Darla without her consent. Yeah, I would not think <laughs> like, so. She will break them even as a human. I think yeah. that she would absolutely break them. Um, so I really, I kind of, I kind of liked that. I liked that. And her like, her disconnection from who she is because mm-hmm. she can't remember what it's like to be human, but she's human now and it's making her crazy. Yeah. You know? and so that, she's so, yeah. Right. And that moment between them, which for Lindsay, 
is this, mm-hmm. you know, culmination of desire for this woman that he thinks he's falling in love with. Yeah. And for her, it's like this complete identity crash. Yeah. You know, and she asks him, what did you bring back? Lindsay, what am I? Did you bring back the girl whose name I can't remember? Or did you bring back something else? Mm-hmm. And Lindsay says, I don't care. And he kisses her and she says, it's not me you want to screw. It's him. You all think you can use me to get to Angel. Mm-hmm. So like she's so aware of this. And I think she sees some of that tension between Lindsay and Angel that is so under the current with the two of them that I can't wait yeah. to talk more about later. Um, yeah. And and Lindsay, I do kind of love the space where he has all these big feelings for Darla because he yeah. has no idea what he's getting into. And he tells her he doesn't care what she is. And then she bites him. Yeah. And she's like, now do you care? What am I? Mm-hmm. You know, and she's mm-hmm. trying to remind him. Yeah. I'm not a girl standing in front of a boy asking him. Right. To look. I'm telling you, <laughs> be careful, little man. Mm-hmm. And, and I, yeah, just, right. I really loved that moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. God. But you know what? Honestly, I love Spike. Yes. I love Spike in this. <laughs> I love we've got them all in the Boxer Rebellion. It's very cool. But this moment where Darla is threatening the Romani man, you know, that like if you reverse the curse, you know, I will, your wife will, and children will be safe. I'll make sure all this stuff. And then Spike comes out of the caravan with a big burp blood all over his face. And he's like, oh, God. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. And I, oh God, I really thought it was fascinating that she was trying to sweet talk the Romani. I mean, she's threatening, but she's also, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of, I'll give you protection. I'll get you through this night yeah. if you do this for me. I had forgotten that she had tried to get Angel's soul taken away again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that really spoke to me. And then when it didn't work, she turned yeah. to Drusilla and she's like, show no mercy. Like, right. Burn this mm-hmm. place down. Mm-hmm. Um. And then when we cut back to her, you know, in Lindsay's office and she's on the phone and she's calling Angel, mm-hmm. and she says, my boy, my darling boy, I told him no one could understand, but I was wrong. My boy mm-hmm. knows. It was like, mm-hmm. it just dawned on her that yeah. he was alone when he went through this and he knows how she feels. And Angel, of course, is thrown into action because he can hear her heart right. beating through the phone. Mm-hmm. And then part of me wonders did she put the phone over her heart because she's playing angel? Like, mm-hmm. was it just this moment of, okay, I, it just happened that way. Or is she really doing that with intention to drive him to the point of, you know, making him turn her, which is never going to work, but she doesn't understand that yet. Yeah. But I, I really wanted to know, did she do the heartbeat on purpose or did it just I kinda happen? I kind of feel like she did. I kind of think, think that, she did too. But you know, what's interesting is that she has empathy. Right. Right. When she talks to him about you were alone, nobody understood when you went through this alone, I have you, you know, right. and she's talking about that. It's so interesting because she has that empathy. And I think that in understanding what empathy is, which is something she hasn't, you know, really had to contend with in, in a long time. Um, by understanding that, she's like she's manipulating his empathy. Mm-hmm. Hear my heartbeat. My heart is beating, right. you know. And for her, her heart beating is a terrible thing. She can't stand it. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And for him, it's the thing that he wants. Right. You know. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's again, it's like this this really interesting reflection between them mm-hmm. that's like almost there, almost clear, but not quite. It doesn't quite lock down. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, but that, of course, moves us into talking about Moments of Perfect Happiness with Angel oh. in this. So um, my first yeah. one is at the tail end of that exact conversation with Darla. Mm-hmm. He hangs up the phone. He is hell-bent on going to find her. Mm-hmm. Wesley's trying to talk him out of it. And Angel says, I killed her, Wesley. They brought her back, and now I need to know why. Why like this? Why human? And Angel's need for understanding and meaning always makes my moments of perfect happiness list. Because Angel is always about the meaning. Mm-hmm. It's it's never about what it is. It's always about what it means. What does it mean? You know, and everything in Angel has so much significance, which is what I love about this show. You know, um, everything means something. Although sometimes I think I look for meaning in things and I'm not quite sure because it's not clear at all. <laughs> Maybe they didn't realize it was supposed to mean something. Um, but I mean, I love this, you know, angel with a soul unable to kill the family. Mm-hmm. Um, when Darla is confronting him, he's like, you've seen me kill men. And she says, rapists and murderers, thieves and scoundrels, only evildoers. That's all you hunt now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I love that moment that he is you know and it has that reflection of Dexter which is another show that Julie Benz was on right you know Dexter is the serial killer who only kills other serial killers you know um and so that was really kind of interesting to to have that thrown at him you know as a shaming thing right you know um and then she goes while Spike Spike was killing a slayer. You were saving missionaries from me. Her sense of betrayal in this, like, this is the thing. All of this is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at it, it's kind of funny the way that she's presenting it. But it is such a deep betrayal. You oh, can yeah. feel her betrayal in this. And when Spike, the goofy idiot, you know, is out there <laughs> killing a slayer and you're here saving missionaries... It was both funny and yet so poignant and kind of beautiful. And Julie Benz has this ability to pull that off, which I think is just incredible. Yeah, she's so, so well done. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. And she did, you know, feel betrayed by him. And she was so disappointed in him, too. You know, like, I made you great. And now you're Mm -hmm. being less than half of who you were. And Spike, this new idiot baby vampire is out right. killing slayers and you know mm-hmm. you're out being a good guy and i just can't stand this like, i can't I stand it. it i just can't i stand can it. smell the soul on exactly yeah. <laughs> i just no, wanted her really to great. pull out a southern voice and you know i hate it so much like <laughs> <laughs> oh god it was really really good and I, you know i like oh god i love the flashbacks mm-hmm. right like each individual scene unto itself is wonderful. Darla dying with the master, Darla choosing to run off with Angel, you know, um, the Boxer Rebellion, the, the whole thing. Like, I love every single one, except that they don't come together to really tell the story, I think, effectively, because here we are in the past, right? where it's Angel struggling with having a soul. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing everything from Darla's POV. Mm-hmm. Everything. We open with Darla. We tell all the stuff in the past with Darla. But that's where Angel's story is really significant. It's about, you know, him struggling with his soul. And that's why the reflection doesn't work for me. Because in the present day, here we have Darla struggling with her soul. But everything we're seeing is from Angel's point of view. So it's like the protagonist of each half isn't actually at the center of each half. Oh, that makes you know? sense. Yeah. So Having the flashbacks and the present day reflect on each other, they just miss because we really only see Angel through Darla's eyes, you know, and we see Darla a bit more, I think, in the, um, 
you know, in the present day stuff mm-hmm. than we see of Angel in, in the past. Because basically the whole thing is is Darla, right. you know. But I, I like... I like the empathy. I like the reflection. I like Angel struggling with his soul and Darla struggling with hers, you know, but for different reasons. You know, Angel is, is you know, he is being the good, you know, that his soul gives him. He is he is embracing that good, whereas Darla is rejecting it. So I feel like if we'd had these two halves reflecting on each other in that way, because in the end, what we're talking about is Angel's empathy for what Darla's going through. Right. And without seeing his experience through his eyes, you know, of what this all was. Although, I mean, we have seen that before, but I mean, in this episode, you know, um, it just feels like it, they, they just kind of miss. Yeah. You know, they just, they're so slightly off kilter that there's something that, that is almost there and could have been there and could have been really nice and reflecting back and forth on each other that we just miss. Yeah. Because I was really interested in the contrast between how they treated each other mm-hmm. after being reinsold. Yes. So seeing mm-hmm. what she thought of him and how she treated him versus how he thinks of her and how he treats her. Yeah. Like, I think that, like you said, there was a lot more that they could have done mm-hmm. to tie those reflections together. But I am always a sucker for the flashbacks. I love them. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy them. Like, they're really well right. written. They're just not well structured as far as a, a yes, bigger narrative exactly. arc. Like, they, they don't really work that well as part and of I, the bigger arc. I love arc. that you have that perspective because... Then I'm starting to see ways that we could have tightened that narrative and mm-hmm. gotten more out of that story. And so, yeah. as a you know, as a writer and as a reader, like your insight on that is so valuable to me. So I'm really glad you see those things. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things that like even when I'm enjoying it, it's always going to bug me. Like, oh, you could have done that. You could have just if you just done this one thing, it could have been it could have been like you know more powerful. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I mean, I do like I like seeing this history of Darla. I like seeing it from Darla's point of view. I just feel like we're we're doing this whole reflective thing, but we're not doing it. Yeah, you know, we're not making it happen, and so it's just it's just missing. It's just off, you know. And I mean, like here we have this also. Like she wants to be a vampire. He wants to be human. Right. He was. Just just given hope with this prophecy that tells him that there's a possibility he could become human someday. Here she has the thing that he wants and he has the thing that she wants. Yeah. And he, you know, and she wants him to turn her and to take that away. And he's like, it's a gift to feel that heartbeat, to know really for once that you're alive, you know, um, he's trying to tell her like what a great, and she wants none of it. And again, it's, it's such a fun, they've got such a great, amount of reflection between these two characters and we just whiff it yeah just a bit you know yeah. just where it's just so slightly off it's almost like more irritating to me than if it was way off if it was way <laughs> off I'd be like all right but you're so close you right. almost had it people you know um but uh but it's it's really kind of fun and of course you know we see Angel crashing through yet another window when he jumps out with the baby yeah like I don't even I don't know I I don't know like I don't understand why the man can't use a doorknob. I don't <laughs> well, understand. I, I don't know what it is. Busting through glass while holding an infant is probably not the best plan. Right. I mean, I guess he's thinking, well, how am I going to get the baby past Darla? But Darla's going to let you walk out. Darla is not interested in the baby. She's interested in your choice and you made it. Right. So that's right. it. She's not going to do anything to you. But like, I did so wonder, why do you need to crash like, if we're, we're looking at the, the history of Angel, mm-hmm. was this Angel's first Batman? Oh, Angel's first, baby's first Batman. Baby's first Batman. (laughs) Maybe, maybe it was. But damn, the carpenters in Los Angeles are getting so much work from this guy. 
<laughs> he is. I don't think that there's a single episode where he hasn't broken a mirror, broken a window, <laughs> thrown somebody through a window, or dove through a window, or crashed through a window, or burned down a ha- something. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, the construction workers in Los Angeles are absolutely having an economic boom during the Angel <laughs> period. This is insane. And I do like Angry Angel when he's. pushing through things but I really love Angry Angel when he is just on the edge and Lindsay brings that out in him more than any other human so the rest of my moments of perfect happiness were in the present with Angel Mm -hmm. and Lindsay Um, when Lindsay is in the garage you know and he's got Mm -hmm. his cell phone open and Angel just comes up behind him and wraps that cord around his neck like I'm like damn Angel is past the basic conversation stage Mm -hmm. here but Lindsay is always so smart and like he never, he's always so cool and he just holds mm-hmm. up his phone and yeah. Angel can hear Cordelia answer. Angel investigations, yeah. we help the helpless, you mm-hmm. know, um, and Lindsay begs Angel to help Darla yeah. and Angel says, just know if this is a trick, I'll be coming back for you. Hell, I just may be coming back for you anyway. <laughs> I I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> okay. And speaking of the Kinsey scale. There is some well, that's electricity what I'm between saying. Lindsay there, and Angel, right? There I mean, is a current that runs from Lindsay to Angel. I don't think mm-hmm. it's reciprocated, and I think that's part of Lindsay's problem. And maybe, but maybe. I don't know. And if they want to do a bonus scene, yeah, sure. The- <laughs> Go ahead. I will rewrite my still Thursday section and include wrong it. Nothing with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really did like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, it's not because Angel is like intimidated by Lindsay's crush on Darla or mm-hmm. I think he looks at Lindsay liking Darla and he's like, Oh, you're adorable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> step Best away and let the grown up right. show you how this is done. Yes. <laughs> but there's something between the two of them where mm-hmm. Lindsay wants to matter to Angel yeah. and Angel yeah. is so completely just sort of disgusted with Lindsay. Um, yeah, but I mean, Lindsay does matter to Angel. Lindsay matters a lot. I Lindsay think, came to him and wanted to be yeah, better but and I then like betrayed that. I think Lindsay's choices matter to Angel. Yeah. I think Lindsay as a person does not. Mm-hmm. And Lindsay, yeah. his feelings for Angel run a little deeper than that, I yeah. think. Um, so it will be interesting to keep an eye on. But It's very complicated. The yeah. Lindsay-Angel relationship is absolutely very complicated. Yes, their, their relationship status is complicated. But <laughs> but that just, I'm just going to walk straight up behind you and strangle you and we're going to get this done quickly. It's like, mm-hmm. God, Angry Angel just delights me. I love Angry Angel. And then the whole idea of Angel's identity and Darla's mm-hmm. influence on that. You know, she made mm-hmm. him. She named him. Mm-hmm. And when they're at the Hyperion at the end with the team and she says, Angelus, and Cordy just like cuts her off and she says, mm-hmm. around here it's Angel. Just mm-hmm. Angel, okay? Because they're really fighting over Angel's identity and who he is and what that means. Um, and Angel pretty much chooses Darla's side and asks them to leave the two mm-hmm. of them alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his absolute horror at Darla wanting him to turn her back into a vampire. Like, yeah. I don't think that thought had crossed his mind. Right. It hadn't even occurred to it him. Although not, when you think about it, of course, that's what of she course wants. Of course, that's what she wants. But mm-hmm. it had, you could tell, like, she genuinely took him by surprise, mm-hmm. which is saying something yeah. for the two mm-hmm. of them. And, and that mm-hmm. sheer horror for him of thinking about that and realizing that that's what she wants 
Mm-hmm. You know, like the thing she wants most is the one thing he would never give her. Uh, yeah. There was something incredibly powerful about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Lots of good moments of perfect happiness. Lots of happiness. good stuff in this yeah. episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a little time for staking. There's always time for staking. Yep. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to start with, I, I love that Gunn is the one to figure out how to find Darla. Yes. So they did that. But I hate when they make Cordelia stupid. I hate when they make Wesley feckless. Yeah. You know, um, they're all at their best when they're demonstrating competence. And so we got one out of three this time. So at least we got that, you know. Right. But um, I don't think they do that with Gunn very much. I think Gunn is almost always competent. Yeah. Um, you know, but we do it with Cordelia and Wesley a fair amount, and I absolutely hate it. You do not have to be stupid in order to be funny, and we find that out as we move through, and they both become more competent. But relying on, you know, stupid Cordelia and stupid Wesley in order to make things funny always falls flat with me. So, yeah, me too. I didn't enjoy that that much. Um, and you know, there was a funny moment that was that was more weird than that like I wanted to stake it but Angel says maybe Darla won't have to go through it alone and Cordelia's got this hurt response she's like you're not alone you know but he was when he was freshly dealing with his soul right so this has nothing to do with Cordelia it has nothing to do with them as a family or as a Mm -hmm. team or anything like that so I thought that was just like a really weird atonal note and I was wondering did you did that make sense to you yeah it did it made sense to me Mm -hmm. because we we have this our this feeling already of him pulling away from the team, you know. Mm-hmm. Wesley's trying to get him to make the decisions about Darla with them as a mm-hmm. team. Angel's mm-hmm. already intent on going in alone. I think Cordelia can sense what is going to happen if he yeah that he's pulling away yeah he's completely mm-hmm. pulling away, and Cordelia is also in the present always and only mm-hmm. she is in the mm-hmm. moment, and so she doesn't have the ability to understand. What he means is what is current for Darla Mm -hmm. is a hundred years old for me, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Right. Cordy Mm -hmm. is like, you know, we're here and we love you and you're not relying on us and you're Mm -hmm. going after this by yourself and you don't have to. And so she feels hurt and rejected and scared. Mm -hmm. She cannot possibly understand what he went through when he got his soul back and he was alone because Cordy, her empathy is growing, but she's not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that was just sort of the, it's just inexperienced talking and youth talking. So, okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I accept that as a, as a defense. It was just, it was a weird moment. Yeah, it was, it was. So what do you have to stake in this? So, okay. I'm normally like a fan of Holland Manners, right? Not Mm -hmm. like, oh, he's great, but like, Mm -hmm. like the mayor in Sunnydale, right? He's a good Mm -hmm. villain to watch. Right. Mm -hmm. But him playing Lindsay and Darla to make this crisis look real and like the fake security guard with the fake gun and Mm -hmm. so that Angel will do what he has to do, save her soul. I'm like, okay, what's the play here? Mm -hmm. And usually that would be a research question, but it's so messy that I just wanted to stake it because the pieces don't line up. How could they possibly predict how Darla was going to crack up and what do they want Angel to do to save her? Like, and why is Angel saving her part of their they're, plan? Right? They're all like, oh, we want Angel distracted. But you know who's distracted? The entire team at Wolferman Heart yeah. that is doing nothing right. but these machinations. That, and also it's bad antagonist planning, yes. which is something that we see all the time. Antagonists, we have them do these convoluted things, right? 
that make no sense and create situations over which the antagonist has no control and no way of predicting how they're going to play out. And the whole point of an antagonist plan is that they have it planned out and they're doing things specifically because they're controlling the situation. And it's the, it's the protagonist who has to then subvert that control, get control back and, and run the table. So we have Holland manners, you know, like twirling his mustache, you know, his (laughs) metaphorical mustache doing this whole thing. And what does it even mean? It doesn't mean anything. It it was such a mess. And not Mm -hmm. to mention, this is a law firm and they are running up a hell of a lot of billable hours, right? They've got Mm -hmm. all these people on this. It makes no sense. And if you're doing like a risk analysis for a plan Mm -hmm. and one of your variables is 400 year old ex vampire goes crazy, Mm -hmm. You cannot predict the trajectory of behavior from that. That's a bad plan. No. And why... Why the ruse? Right. With, the, with Lindsay, like, why? Lindsay needed no, to believe it, sense. so Angel would believe it, and they already know that Lindsay's going to betray them, and maybe that's why they're keeping him around, but it was so convoluted yeah. that I was just like, huh? Because you can't what? control what for what all of these people are going to choose and what they're going to do right. and how they're going to respond to it. You can't know how that's yeah. going to turn out. So I just, mm-hmm. I had to stake it instead of researching it because it was just, yeah, they, they need to rewrite their framework. It wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's pretty bad. And the thing is, is that when you have an antagonist who behaves like that, you know, then you, they're, they cease to be scary. They cease to be threatening because they're just doing crazy wild stuff and it just happens to land where it lands, right. you know? Right. Um, if you have an antagonist who is embracing chaos and not pretending that they have any control over it and they're just throwing chaos out into the universe fine fair enough but when you have a character who obviously believes that they are the the Machiavelli of this situation (laughs) what they're doing is just incredibly stupid um, then it comes off as this is an antagonist we cannot trust to be smart and to be effective and you know and the fact that Angel is struggling against this doofus makes us think less of our protagonist so um, so yeah that's the kind of thing that I think definitely definitely deserves a stake but now we get to research mode and dr kelly jones i see tons of notes oh here God. i'm just gonna sit back and just enjoy okay. your, so your research section i really mm-hmm. really 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 promise that i edited this and like i cut <laughs> but oh my god if i was mm-hmm. ever gonna write a thesis about yeah a part no that's not true there are five or six theses that i would write but this would be one mm-hmm. uh-huh. so for the first part this is one of only two Angel episodes to be titled after a character. Mm-hmm. So we get Darla, and then in season three, we get Billy. Mm-hmm. And we have other plays on names, like Fredless and In Harm's Way, but only mm-hmm. two that are character names as titles, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, this character doesn't remember her human name. Yeah. And so this idea of this, you know, dear one and what that means, um, mm-hmm. the whole thing then got framed in the idea of love for me. Um, mm-hmm. which can set off a million thousand research questions by itself. Sure. But then when Darla said that she sees soulmates as worse than enemies, mm-hmm. I just, my brain just lit up. Mm-hmm. So we have the idea of Angel and Buffy being star-crossed lovers, right? Mm-hmm. And now the idea of Angel or Angelus being, and Darla being soulmates. Mm-hmm. So all these questions came to me like, can your heart belong to one person and your soul belong to another? What's a soulmate? What does it mean mm-hmm. in the angel verse? Can you have more than one? Is the soulmate the same thing as true love? What's the difference? What does sex have to do with it? And what does it mean for angel and Darla? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, interesting. Right. And this is a challenging story space for me because I don't believe that we have only one true love or only one soulmate. Mm-hmm. And I still hate the idea of star-crossed lovers. <laughs> but the episode mm-hmm. brought up all the questions for me. Mm-hmm. And so a yeah. very short, super simplified, condensed version of soulmate theory here. This comes mm-hmm. from Egyptian Greek mythology of the split soul, that humans mm-hmm. were originally created as pairs, right? We had four yeah. arms, four legs, two heads, one soul that we shared, mm-hmm. or two souls that were shared within a body, depending on which line of thought you follow. Humans mm-hmm. anger the gods and then were separated into two bodies and two souls as punishment, forced to spend our lives trying to find each other so we can be whole again, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get fucking Plato. Plato takes the idea and popularizes it. Each of us only has half a soul and therefore must be miserable until we find the other mm-hmm. half. Then Goethe, right. then Emerson, and then the word soulmate from Samuel Taylor Coleridge in 1822, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But soulmates are really about affinity. Two people who are perfectly matched in ideology and temperament. So mm-hmm. it's not the same thing as a romantic partner, although we often swap them out and one can be the other and not necessarily be both. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. So then I get to thinking, what does that mean in a world where we have lovers who don't have souls? Because this right. was freaking mm-hmm. fascinating to me. Yeah. And so the mm-hmm. big question is, is Angel the only vampire that Darla ever sired? Interesting. She's 400 years old. He's the only Mm -hmm. person we ever see her turn. Liam was a passionate, fighting, free spirit, and that seemed to be what drew Darla to him. Mm -hmm. She's a lot older than him, and she continued on long after he got his soul back. But it doesn't look like she ever created another companion before or after Angelus. So she Mm -hmm. takes his soul from him, and they become one unit. Evil, Mm -hmm. yes but still deeply connected to each other. And then as re-ensouled, her human, him a vampire, mm-hmm. they are drawn right back together. So what is that if not soulmates? And it's really interesting that sex with Buffy as his star-crossed lover triggers mm-hmm. the curse and takes his soul away, while sex with Darla, if she's his soulmate, does not. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Buffy gives Angel perfect happiness, but it's fleeting. Their relationship is romantic But other than the superpower fighting evil thing, they have nothing in common. Very true. Darla Mm -hmm. gives Angelus clarity and purpose and the space to be his full and truest self without limits or filters. They share everything and they know each other as well as two people or two vampires possibly can. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like thinking about what does that mean? She sees them immediately as soulmates, which she also believes is worse than being enemies, right? This is not an idea that she is a fan of. Mm -hmm. But I am fascinated about what that means for the two of them and what it means for the idea of love and soul in Angel. I have no answers for any of this. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting because while you were talking about that, I mean, I was thinking about Drusilla and Spike, right? Right, Because we have that opening where Drusilla's, you know, kind of on her own, right? Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been, I think, that long that she's been a vampire. The right. three of them have been hanging out together. And Darla says, well, why don't you just go make yourself somebody, right? So she right. picks, you know, William, who's, who will become Spike, mm-hmm. right? He bumps into her, you know, in his last human moment, crying over the... Uh, the poetry that he read to Cecily, which is why you should go see oh, Fool yeah. for Love because it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's good. so damn good. Um, but so then Drusilla turns Spike, mm-hmm. right? And the two of them are madly in love. 
But I mean, that's such a random thing. Like she didn't know him at all. Right. Right. So the the siring of someone being together, like something in that experience, I think bonds you. Well, right. Yeah. But I think there's an extra element with Spike and Drusilla. Mm -hmm. One is she was raised, if you will, by two Mm -hmm. vampires who were deeply in love. So that is her model Mm -hmm. of how that works. So that's Mm -hmm. already in her mind. She also has visions and the ability to see into the future. So Mm -hmm. she would see more from William than what we would see. She would know. She would know. Mm -hmm. And William's Mm -hmm. also a poet who was, he was running into her because of pain from lost love. So like Mm -hmm. they were both in that space where that kind of romance was what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes sense for the two of them. I don't know that I would buy it from any random other two vampires Mm -hmm. yeah but it's it's what we're seeing like and the the siring of somebody is is hugely significant yeah and like you know when drusilla was talking to angel and darla about wanting someone and she said you won't even hurt me even a little bit and Mm -hmm. darla said all you have to do is ask and drusilla looks over at angel and and he says no his head is too full of you and so it's like she knows. I mean, it's this yeah. is not even about monogamy. And Darla was going to hand him over for the afternoon. It's mm-hmm. not a problem, right? But mm-hmm. it's about no. I know who he loves, and it's it's you. And I want someone and you who's mine. And she can she can only be hurt right effectively by someone somebody who, who loves, loves her. her. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that dynamic for her and Spike, I think, because Drusilla can see things the way she can see things, mm-hmm. that that made more sense to me. Um, yeah. And I felt kind of bad for William getting tagged. They all think he's like an idiot when he starts. And, you yeah. know, then the boy goes mm-hmm. and kills a slayer. <laughs> I know. Well, no, he's got he's got some talent. I think that Spike <laughs> is is underrated. I do think definitely. so, too. <laughs> Spike is. But Spike is fascinating. And I oh got I love him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we will be getting to Spike, mm-hmm. but not 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 anymore today because there is no. not much of him in this episode um yeah no i think that's really interesting in the idea of love versus the soulmate because the soulmate feels more like you know you're saying buffy and angel have nothing in common right yeah. they have this grand star-crossed love but they have nothing that bonds them mm-hmm. you know whereas um angel and darla are bonded yes and there's something about that that even that when your soulmates even when you hate each other, you're bound. Right. You're closer. Exactly. You know, there's that relationship is is still a huge part of who both of you are, that it's not about love. Right. It's about being bound to each other and somehow always belonging to each other, whether you like it or not. And I think that's why it horrifies Darla so much, because mm-hmm. if that soulmate theory holds true, you don't mm-hmm. have a choice in the matter. Right. And having mm-hmm. her choice taken away from that, realizing that she's locked in that soulmate, that would be horrifying for someone like Darla. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't yeah. know. I was just fascinated by the whole thing. No, I think that's really interesting. Um, and one of the things that, that I kind of thought was was interesting in this episode was the, again, the role of religion. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like we're using religion here as kind of a shorthand for, oh, look how bad Darla is. She hates religion, right? But she's kind of fascinated by religion. I mean, Angel says you could never resist a religious war and you always talked about China, right? right. So that's how he knew how to find her at the Boxer Rebellion. Um, you know, and we have this like reflection of Angel with a soul who is basically good, but Darla with a soul is still bad, mm-hmm. right? You know, like Darla before she got her soul was, you know, didn't didn't like God never did anything for me, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I find it really interesting. Actually, I asked um, our friend of the show, uh, Alan, um, at Chipper Alan on Twitter, um, kind of about this, because I was like, well, you know, I'm seeing these things here, um, you know, where we have Darla's relationship with religion and all of this. And it's it's so weird, you know, like it doesn't feel to me. It feels like they're just using religion as a shortcut for this is evil because she rejected religion when she had a soul. Um, but the fact is, there are lots of people with souls who are perfectly good people who reject religion all the time. They're called atheists. <laughs> And, um, and or or heathen good. podcasting friends. Uh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, atheists, atheists or heathens, whatever you want to call them. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, research has shown that uh, atheists are just as likely to be completely good people, charitable, you know, philanthropic, all that kind of stuff as anybody who's religious. That is not what makes you a good person. Right. Um, but yet it feels like we're using religion as this sort of shortcut for that. And then Alan wrote me back and I think you guys are going to have to harass him on Twitter again that's at chipper allen um to get him to talk about it in his own (laughs) words like a little bit better uh because like but he came back with it not being about religion but being about freedom i agree with him you know Mm -hmm. and that we have actually a lot of this is about um is about freedom throughout like and when you just said it's the fact that the soulmate thing took away her choice that she couldn't choose that soulmate she was stuck with that soulmate that these are the things this is uh, everything for darla is about freedom like when she rejects religion it's about rejecting the the idea that somebody can tell her what to do or how to behave and she accepts the consequences of that if the devil will have me then okay fine you know because she said this is this is what I'm going to do we get that moment of free will with the master Mm -hmm. right you know where she's with the master this whole time but he's not keeping her there he's not holding her he's not caging her she is there by choice and she leaves by choice and he lets her. Yep. Right. So she's not going to engage in any kind of construct mm-hmm. that takes away her freedom. Absolutely. Right. You know, so here she is stuck in this mortal coil now where she has no choice. Her heart beats. She doesn't want it to beat. She wants to be a vampire. She's dying. Right. right? You know, she doesn't want it. Like it's all of this stuff. And um, and here she is trying desperately in this situation. She didn't choose to come back. She was brought back. She didn't choose to be human. She was made human. Yep. Right. Here she is with this one thing that she's choosing and asking Angel for and he won't do it for her. Right. And, you know, and I think for her, everything comes down to not wanting to be controlled, wanting to be able to choose, which is why I love her so much. Yeah. So not mm-hmm. only does she want to be turned, mm-hmm. you know, back into a vampire, she wants Angel to do it. So yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. not just about deciding that she wants to be a vampire again. She wants him to be the vehicle for making that happen yeah. because mm-hmm. she loves him, because she is bonded to him. She wants him to right. turn her back mm-hmm. and, she can't force him to do it. She can't make him do that. I think if she could right. make him, she would, and she can't. And the only yeah. way that she can think of to make him do it is to make him feel as badly for her as, you know, he possibly can, which right. I think when she held the phone to her heartbeat and said, help me, 
He heard a heartbeat and said, oh, my God, let me help you as a human. Let me save your soul. Let me help you embrace your exactly. soul. Exactly. Right. And she mm -hmm. meant, please, God, make this stop. Right. And if you think about it in terms of like her human life being her infancy, she mm -hmm. has been a vampire for 400 years. And yeah. that doesn't just mean that she's lived without a soul for 400 years. She's lived with a demon for mm -hmm. 400 years. And now yeah. the soul is back and the demon is gone. Mm -hmm. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that she would identify as a vampire and not as a mm -hmm. human, even though she's been yeah. brought back. Yeah. You know, and and having her choices taken away is is absolutely hell for her. So yeah, I th which adds such an interesting reflection on the consent with Lindsay. Yeah. And I was thinking right? about yeah. that her very first interaction with Lindsay, she did ask him for consent. Um mm -hmm. she wanted to touch his hand. Yeah. And she said, "May I?" So she she mm -hmm. did ask him for consent. You know, and I think it was just in this moment where she was trying to show him what it right. means, like who she is. She's mm -hmm. trying to get him to realize I am not some pretty girl that right. like this, you don't understand what I am. And right now, mm -hmm. neither do I, that she was, you know, pushing some of those lines with him. But I think her natural inclination mm -hmm. would have been consent. She asked Angel's consent before she turned him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah. But she is. I think that she really is all about that free will and free choice. And so I didn't talk about Alan's thoughts well at all. He he says it much, much better than I do. And he has this this very broad um, kind of religious understanding that I don't have. So find yes. him on Twitter, everybody, at Chipper Allen. Hound him for to talk about this a little more. I made him watch the whole episode to give me that. <laughs> and then I was like... No, he has such a great perspective on yeah. it. And it's so like, I, I love the way he talks about this. Well, stuff. So I appreciate it too. He, it. he gave me the term um, Western Christianity to kind yeah. of encompass the specific types of symbolism that we see on the show. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Although it goes wider with Darla because she's interested in any kind of religious war. Um, yes. But yeah, his mm -hmm. take on this stuff is fantastic. So. Really, Everybody really smart, really yep. tons of information, incredibly well read. Definitely recommend finding him on Twitter or if you're a, a Chipperish patron. Um, fascinating discussion going on in the Discord channel all the time around this stuff. And he's usually part of it. So, yeah, really, really good stuff. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and brood on this one. I got to say Darla is a watcher because her movement is essential to the story arc. And this episode is one of the anchors of the whole season story. Aside from that, while its overall narrative movements could be stronger, the scene level work is fantastic and Julie Benz is amazing in a role she was born to play so this episode absolutely a watcher and now we'll move on to a skipper <laughs> the Shroud of Ramon and what a skipper it is and what a skipper it is In the Shroud of Ramon, Gunn's cousins ask for help after finding himself mixed up as the driver in a supernatural scheme to steal a powerful shroud from the Natural History Museum with an inside man, a couple of demons, and a vampire from Vegas. After some great role-playing and needless bickering, Angel takes the vamp's place, Gunn takes the driver's place, and what should have been a fun heist goes to hell in a casket when the team members are all grouchy and the shroud makes everyone insane. Kate interferes and shows up in Angel's place without a warrant. Again, Cordy and Wes go to the museum to try to help and get hit with a crazy whammy. Angel turns borderline and jealous. A demon rips off the guard's head. 
And Kate shows up on the scene and tries to shoot Angel because she really cannot remember how vampires work. <laughs> Angel bites her to keep the other demons from killing her, but unfortunately, she survives. Wesley is arrested for the murder of the guard, and then Kate shows up at the precinct, pale and shaky, and lets Wesley go. Luckily, Angel burns the shroud, so no one ever has to watch an episode like this again. <laughs> and apparently, all that silliness was needed to reawaken Angel's bloodlust, because I guess the last few weeks with Darla just weren't cutting it. The Shroud of Ramon aired on November 21st, 2000. It was directed by David Grossman, who also directed season one's I Will Remember You, and will be back in season three to direct Billy and Double or Nothing. It was written by Jim Koof, who also wrote season one's Five by Five. Now, Kelly, on our perfect happiness scale, the pH scale, which makes absolutely no sense, so please don't add us, What did you? where did The Shroud of Ramon land for you? So I gave this a two. Um, mm -hmm. This episode was especially ruined for me because I deeply love high stories, and this one mm -hmm. was awful. Half yeah. the fun is watching the team come together and form the plan and work together when things go wrong. This team was whiny and grumpy, and they did not work together well at all, and there was so much Kate. It was an oversaturation. Yes. And, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I can't even, but I always uh, enjoy Angry Angel and Smartass Angelus, so I gave it two points for that. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I am with you 100% <laughs> I, because I like seeing Angel play a character um, pretty much is the only reason why I gave it two points as well. I, I love a good heist story, but this is not a good heist story. It's fun to see Angel play a role, but nothing in this episode makes any sense. There's an abundance of Kate, which is never a good thing. Um, there are some good moments you know but overall the shroud of ramon should have stayed buried leave your tombs earthed people <laughs> you gotta yes. leave your tombs earth okay so that said i think we're gonna have a fairly short uh segment for moments of perfect happiness yeah so let's start with angel and gun what you got oh god um i like this moment you know <laughs> The, the the conflict between Angel and Gunn makes absolutely no sense. Why they're even fighting. What this is about. Angel wants to take the case and leave Gunn out of it. Gunn shows up anyway. So what big deal? It's also completely unclear what Angel plans to do with this shroud. Mm -hmm. With this 2,000 pound thing that needs six men. Uh, a few of them with demon strength in order to even move it. Um, what is his plan? For this, I have absolutely no idea. None of it makes any sense. Um, but, you know, I like I like Angel and Gunn together. Um, you know, Gunn is used to running his show. And, you know, Angel makes it clear that he's giving the orders, you know, because I pay you. And so they've got a slight kind of power struggle mm -hmm. there, I guess, a little bit. Um, but, uh, but I like when Angel says, I could use a sweater or something dark. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll knit for you. I'll knit something for you, Angel. Um, I was calling so, that out as a LDR flirt. As a, see, I'm flirting. You're flirting. I was I very flirt, proud of you. I can flirt, too. <laughs> I can flirt. Um, and I love, of course, Angel in character. Mm -hmm. You know, I love him pretending to be like the geeky driver guy. Yeah. And he's so excited <laughs> to meet Jay Don. I love him as Jay Don, where he's playing this kind of Rat Pack thing yeah. and wearing something that I think is is probably one of Lauren's outfits. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I think he swung and by Lauren's. And not what Jay Don was wearing. <laughs> right. Although I like it because he, he, he stakes him. His clothes go. He grabs the sunglasses yes. before the guy. So that was pretty that cool. That was so cool. When so, he grabbed those so sunglasses I, like I was like oh my god mm -hmm. i had to give it a point yeah. just for that 
Yeah, and, no, seriously. It was very and cool. And seeing him as Jay Don when mm-hmm. Cordelia and Wesley had told him, okay, this guy's really extroverted. And, yeah. And then Angel tells the group of demons, he's like, I'm a people person. <laughs> right. It's so funny. Um, it's very And cute. I like it when Gunn showed up and mm-hmm. he's like, have we all got to wear these ugly ass shirts? Is this like a team thing? <laughs> and, but then there was a line from Gunn. And if this line had been in a different context, it would have mm-hmm. gone in the still thirsty section. Oh, yes. uh, but they were talking about his like having his attention. And he said, uh-huh. you've got my undivided. And I uh-huh. went, like, you're going to go knit for Angel, but honey, I would not mind having Gunn's undivided attention. So <laughs> that made my list of moments of perfect happiness. There you go. There you go. Um, so we got anything for the rest of the team? Any moments of perfect happiness? I, we got some fun snark from Cordy when she mm-hmm. was talking about Angel's schedule. She said, his mm-hmm. day is packed. Brood about Darla. Yeah. Brood about Darla. Lunch. Followed by a little Darla brooding. <laughs> I know. It's, I kinda, it's funny. cute when they make fun of him. And I like that they're, you know, Cordy and Wes are being nice to each other. I like he got her a ticket for the premiere. Yeah. I thought that was really sweet. And then, you know, then he spelled the cocktail sauce all over. But that was, you know, that wasn't deliberate. Yeah, that was that sweet. That was a mistake. That was an accident. That was Wesley, of course, being goofy off screen. Right. But, you know, whatever. Right. And um, I like that when they realized what was going on with the shroud, Cordy mm-hmm. said, so in order to get Angel's mind off the torment that is Darla, we sent him after a box that makes you crazy. And it's <laughs> <laughs> like, good plan. But I do appreciate right. having another box on Angel, even though this was a terrible episode. Right. I like the recurring theme. At least we've got the crate, right? right? We got yeah, the crate. Something, there's like, always something in a crate. Yes. Right. If I can't figure out what to do with something, it's going in a box. Just I like seeing another box. But no, I mean, it really is an interesting kind of theme that we see over and over mm-hmm. and over again in Angel. And I'm not sure that it's deliberate, but I think it is significant. Oh, yeah. It shows up enough you as know, significant. Yeah. I just, I don't know yeah. what it means yet, but I'm working on it. So, but that was it. That was it. Separated. (laughs) Compartmentalized. Yeah. No, I don't know. All right. So let's go ahead and stake, Mm -hmm. I guess. You know, we open with a fractured tease, which is something that I genuinely don't like um where we start with wesley and he's already been made crazy by the shroud ramon he's under interrogation you know at the cop station and we have this if she dies like <laughs> we don't, who is it who's 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 gonna die is it cordy oh no like you know we're all worried whereas if it's like is it kate then yeah let her die let her go Just move into the light kate that'd be great um so light, we do you... this oh, God. but um you know, then we have this whole, like, you know, we go back in time and it's just, it's just weird. We've got Cordy's hair, which again is also weird. Um, That's better yeah. than it was when it was like 12 different lengths and, you know, 15 pounds of extensions on this poor woman's head. Uh, But it's so poofy mm-hmm. and I don't know who's doing the hair on angel but they're they're struggling and they keep calling it out like the guys didn't notice and then when wesley was under the whammy and he sees kate he's like i noticed your hair right away i'm going what is the deal with like what but her hair also isn't that different it was weird for one week but her hair is right it's been like every other time it made no sense and wesley under whammy is weird yeah, no, it's weird. I hate that delivery on the line where he's like, I'm quite good with the ladies myself, you know, and I'm Ew. like, that's creepy. That, was, that creepy. was a creepy delivery. Yeah, it's not good. And especially how Wesley has been, you know, kind of like floating in this misogynistic space quite a bit. Yeah, I don't like mm-hmm. that. Me neither. 
It's, it's really weird. It's really weird. And, you know, I mean, there's a nice opportunity here, I think, to do something interesting with Gunn and Angel's relationship because they have this, like, conflict between them, this power struggle. But they don't actually do anything with it. I mean, they're both trying to take charge of a situation that neither one of them has a plan for, mm-hmm. you know? Like... They want to be the one making the calls, but they're not making any calls. It's not like it's not like Gunn says, I want to handle it one way. And Angel says, I want to handle another. Angel says, I don't want you there. And Gunn says, I want to be there. And that's it. Right. That's the extent of of the whole plan. Like, what are they going to do with this thing? How are they going to handle it? It is so incredibly stupid. And they don't know anything about it. Like, everything we know about the Shroud of Ramon, we learn because of Cordy and Wesley, which is why they go there, so that they can tell Angel that it's a, it's a crazy-making whammy shirt, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so none of it makes any sense. Right. It's just really really ridiculous so did you have anything else with the with the team yeah i really wanted to see angel and gun working together and like that competition for alpha male didn't make any damn sense and it didn't serve the story because we already Mm -hmm. know they work well together they already respect each other and at least they came back in the end when angel convinced gun to let him set the shroud on fire but it was just bad um so like Mm -hmm. the thing that cracked me up was and if this pulls me out of a story because I'm like literally either bored or frustrated, then that's not good. Yeah. But, but this was mm-hmm. funny. Bob, the security guard. Yeah. When he was, he started yelling, hit me, hit me. Wait, you got to hit me. And he was like getting all excited about it. Yeah. I kept mm-hmm. thinking of Bill Murray in Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. in the yes. dentist chair yelling, candy bar, candy bar, candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I wanted to stake Bob. Right. Oh, my God. So, and then we have, um, we have a Lonnie Dye and Rich rant about the virgins, <laughs> and you covered this so brilliantly that I'm handing you the steak, so take it away. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, I've titled this Oi with the Virgins already, which is a <laughs> reference to Gilmore Girls, for anybody who saw the episode where she- where uh, Lorelai Gilmore was trying to make oi with the poodles already a thing. So we have Wesley, right? He's saying, he's reading from the book, once Ramon was defeated, the priest dyed the shroud with the blood of seven virgin women sacrificed on the first full moon. And I'm like, of course. And this is the good guy, the guy who defeated the demon sacrificing women yeah so that's supposed to be like a good thing and you know people you've got to stop sacrificing your virgins i mean (laughs) if ever there was a motivation for women to start sleeping around immediately it's the shit that happens to virgins why any woman in the ancient world was ever a virgin is completely beyond (laughs) me you know and then i'm thinking you know is that how men from the olden days convinced women to sleep with them you know come on baby you know what they do to virgins (laughs) don't want to risk that right you know Except that they kill the promiscuous women, too, right? But they shame them first, and then they kill them. And often set them on fire. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Basically, the patriarchy fucking sucks. And then, of course, at least, at least we have Cordelia calling it out. She's like, why is it always the virgin women who have to do the sacrificing? And Wesley says, for purity, I suppose, with his unbelievable patriarchal cluelessness mm-hmm. i mean oh my god and then cordelia is like this has nothing to do with purity this is all about dominance buddy you can bet if they ordered a male body part for religious sacrifice the world would be atheist like that yes. and she snaps her fingers right <laughs> and i'm like good for cordy and then wesley at least has the decency to look ashamed you know as he goes on but i mean he just like ignores the point instead of being like yeah you're absolutely right, right. He's just like, oh, well, let's not talk about that. Like, why not? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the damn virgins getting (laughs) sacrificed all the time. So it's not much of a rant. But I mean, God, can we just with the virgins? Yeah, like enough already. Enough. 
Exactly. And then we've got Kate. Because we have to stake Kate. Oh, my God. Because Kate is so stickable. She is so stickable. She's terrible. I mean, here she is, once again, breaking into Angel's apartment without a warrant, on her own, going rogue. Does the woman not have a telephone? (laughs) Can she not call him up and harangue him over the phone and just make it easier for everybody? And then she's got this whole thing. Don't suppose you'd be willing to testify against her in a blindingly sunny court of law. And Angel says, don't suppose you have a search warrant. I love when Angel snaps back at her. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, But Kate is awful. She needs to go away. Um, I like that he knocks the cross or the half cross, half stake out of her hand. Oh, God. When when he did that, like, I mean, she's standing there waiting in his bedroom, right, with a cross and a Mm -hmm. bad attitude. And he grabs her and throws that cross out of her hand. And he says, you get between me and Darla, it will be the last thing you ever do. And I was like, hell yes, angry angel, please just kill her right now. Right. I know. (laughs) She's terrible. And then, of course, Kate rushes out to the um, to the museum. She's calling for backup. Fine. But she does not wait for backup (laughs) before she goes into this incredibly. I mean, it's so stupid. It's just bad police work. Like, you know, I just want to see like if we're good, if we've got to have a cop, if we've got to have Kate, let them at least be good at their job, you know. But instead, we got to get her running there, being all crazy and wild, dealing not just with, you know, people in the middle of a heist that's worth millions of dollars, which is dangerous enough, but that these are going to be demons and vampires, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then Angel turning into Angelus, biting Kate. I did not mind that. Me neither. You know, it's like, oh, no, Angel, oh, no. don't kill stop. Kate. Stop, really, Just stop. stop. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, of course, he doesn't kill Kate because even though he's under the influence of this crazy-making shroud, he can still, like, his eyes, the color of his eyes have changed. He's obviously under the influence, but yet he can still keep his, his you know, sense of himself enough that he can, you know, he can bite Kate and tell her to stay down so that they don't kill her and that he can light the thing on fire. Um, you know, he's, he's still got a hold of himself yeah. despite that. And there's really no explanation for that. No, except it's you just know? Angel's inner strength. But I do have to admit, like, Angelus in that form always makes me happy. And when he tells mm-hmm. Kate, you're the best cop ever. <laughs> Like, why are you bothering people who are about to steal things? And I was like, no, all right. It is, it is fun like when that. he's taunting yeah, her. That, I like when he's taunting her. Fun. I like when he knocks the cross out of her hand. Yeah. I like when he stands up to her. So all that stuff is yeah. good. Um, all right. So that moves us into research mode. And my first question is this. What the hell is Angel's plan anyway? <laughs> I think they were calling he's back to there- the... The last episode, Walking Fast, Walking Fast is the plan. Yeah, Walking no Fast plan. is the plan. Is that the thing? Um, so he's going to, I guess, stop the heist, except he's part of the heist. So how exactly is he going to stop it? And then he's going to destroy the shroud, which was never his plan originally, but became his plan after he realized that the shroud was crazy making. Um, and so none of it makes any sense. And then at the end, we have him burning the shroud. Now, the whole reason why the priest sacrificed the seven virgin women who right now, I'm sure, are kind of pissed <laughs> because just so that he could. I was sacrificed so that you could, you know, keep this guy from rising again. And that's what the shroud was about. But now just burning the shroud, just burning the shroud. Will do it. OK, why didn't you just burn the guy? to keep him from rising again and leave me out of it. I could have lived a nice, full, happy life, not being a virgin eventually, you know? <laughs> um, 
So all of that, the virgins die for nothing. I don't even understand what this is. How Angel knows that burning it is going to be the answer to all of this. Meanwhile, the the body of this badass demon that we put the shroud on in the first place to keep him from rising is now going to be able to rise because he doesn't have the shroud anymore. We didn't burn the body. We burned the shroud, the thing that was keeping the demon from rising. Can I just, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. Did this make any sense no, to you at all? It made no sense to okay. me. Okay. It's not just no, me then. No, I just no, didn't no. miss something. No, okay. I think that the writers were wearing the shroud. And they went a little yes. crazy. It doesn't it make any no sense, sense at, at all. all. And, like, why would a shroud that makes everyone crazy be powerful mm-hmm. to anyone? Like, that's right. an all-round bad thing. You can't predict crazy. Right. And I mean, they didn't know it made everybody crazy. Like, Wesley found that out. They were going to, they were stealing it for the money. So I get why they're stealing it. But, like, Angel is just simply helping them steal it. He's not... Yeah. He's not thwarting the plan. Right. Yeah. It, it, He's just there so that they don't kill Gunn's cousin. But what? Yeah. It made no sense. It doesn't make no any sense. sense at all. So the only research question that I got out of this was mm-hmm. we end with Angel brooding. Mm-hmm. But instead of thinking about Darla, he's reliving biting Kate. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the plan to su- distract him from Darla <laughs> succeeded. But Wolfram and Hart's plan to reawaken Angel's bloodlust may actually have been accomplished by a random Angel Investigations case and a bad heist. Yeah. So I was looking for connections to the larger story arc here. Finding none. Yeah, there's nothing. Moving on. There's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. nothing. It doesn't make any sense. And they have this whole moment where we're like, oh no, his bloodlust has been reawakened and now that's going to be a thing. No, it's no. not. I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying, no, it's not, it's, it's not a thing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. We have this big moment, like, like, you know, we're going to see something. We're going to see consequence from this episode. We will not. This episode has no consequence. Hence being a skipper. But my last question is why is Jadon, this snazzy vamp from Vegas, who's into the rat pack riding into town on a bus? And why didn't he go straight to Caritas? That dude would not have skipped Lauren's bar. Uh, no, <laughs> that would have been exactly yeah. the first place. And he, he would not have been on Doesn't the make it any sense. No sense. Doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I got to say, though, there's one thing that I forgot to put in the uh, moments of perfect happiness. <laughs> it was the angel looks at the guy, you know, and he's like, like the shirt. Where'd you get that? Ed's big and spring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I kind of I kind of like that. Yeah. But seriously, this is it. So, uh, Kelly, how are we brooding on this one? So this episode served the important purpose of reminding us why we hate Kate and yes. pretty much <laughs> nothing else. Um, Angel is brooding over Darla. Angel's bloodlust may or may not be waking back up. If you see a shroud in a museum, don't touch it. Demonic artifacts in boxes never end well on this show. Virgins are treated badly and the patriarchy fucking sucks. Yes, which is all stuff you already yeah. knew, so you can you skip, can skip this all one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Kelly, for our still thirsty uh, segment, what's making you thirsty this week? Well, <laughs> watching <laughs> Christian Kane kiss anyone is going to make the still thirsty section. Oh, yeah. Christian Kane kissing Julie Benz. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Stay stuff. thirsty, my friends. that's really good okay so what is your favorite part so we got one of my all-time favorite lines from the show from the darla Mm -hmm. episode wesley was trying to stop angel from going to help darla you know reminding him that she 
can't be trusted. And he said, mm-hmm. you wandered for a hundred years without ever seeking redemption. And Angel said, that's right. I sought her. And yeah. I was like, seek and ye shall find, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, this whole soulmate thing yeah. with Angel and Darla is so good so and good. so interesting. It was so good. Yeah. So how about you? What no, was your really favorite wonderful. part? God, the moment when Darla asked Angel to to turn her, and he's so horrified, mm-hmm. and she said, I want you to return the favor, and he's like, you didn't do me a favor, you damned me. Yeah. You know? Um, the way that they see this, the fact that after knowing Darla so well for so long, that this could come as a surprise to him, you know, was, uh, was kind of, it's so cool, it's so wonderful, it's such a powerful moment and their relationship is so complex and so layered it's really really fun so that was my favorite part to join in the discussion on twitter follow me at lonnie diane rich and kelly at dr kelly jones and use the hashtag still dead for more in-depth discussion visit the chipperish forums go to chipperish.com click on the forum and join in the fun or you can support Chipperish Media to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons and Alan, who's there a lot, um, and who all buy their shirts at Ed's Big and Spiny. So visit <laughs> patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also support Still Dead and all your favorite podcasts by giving a five-soul review on Apple Podcasts. This is the <laughs> best way to help other folks find the show and to say thanks to our rogue demon hunters who take the time to write reviews we turn to the Prophecy Scrolls. I'm writing these in reverse order from our first reviews on, so post yours and you'll hear your prophecy soon. Forbes Spangled, you shall be called upon to travel through time and space to the Angelverse and wield the power of a magical Wolfram and Heart box to remove Kate from all episodes of Angel. You will do well this day. As a reward, you may replace Kate with the Buffy character of your choice, and you shall also receive a souvenir t-shirt of this fabulous time travel script heist. Take care not to step across your own timeline and avoid any portal labeled Hell Dimension. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, Wolfram and Hart is not liable for the loss of or any damage to your immortal soul. <laughs> Oh, my God. You are so good at those. You guys got to write those reviews just to get one of these from Kelly. They're fantastic. All right. This episode of Still Dead was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Alice at Nation of Crumb on Twitter. Alice supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as reward gets to feel that heartbeat to know really for once that they're alive. Thank you, Alice, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a Still Dead producer. We will be back next time with episodes 9 and 10 of season 2, The Trial and Reunion, both of which are watchers and are two of my favorite episodes ever. (laughs) Until then, while Spike, Spike was killing a slayer, you were saving missionaries from us. (laughs) 